Welcome to Burned by the Firewall, an Occamsec podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Burned by the Firewall. I am your solo host today, Mike Krupka, and I am very excited uh, to be joined today by our special guest, Vince Wang. Vince is the CISO for the state of Hawaii, and he has a ton of knowledge and wealth of experience um, that we're eager to jump in straight away and, and pick his brain about. So, uh, Vince, welcome to the show, and, and thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. You and I have gotten to know each other over the years through Cyber Hawaii and some of the other kind of, uh, you know, to and fro's that, that go on here in the state. Uh, but can you take a few minutes to give our listeners a little bit of a rundown about your background, uh, maybe how you got started in, in security and how you got to the uh, prestigious role that you have today? Okay. Um, well, I got my introduction into um, IT, information technology. Um, first, uh, I first got my teeth uh, as a sysadmin uh, working for an internet service provider. And it was a small ISP. And one of the values of working for an ISP and a small one at that is you, get, you have your hands in everything where you're dabbling in right. the, um, the Unix systems, the backup infrastructure, even support queues, um, networking infrastructure. It's just a really broad gamut of things. And that I really, really love the, um, those initial jobs where anybody with the energy and aptitude uh, has it to get a broad exposure and learn a whole lot of things at, at once. And it was pr- pretty fantastic opportunities. And then, um, you know, af- after I had a few years under my belt in system administration, I got into the world of networking and really learned uh, how networking works but at the um, at a national level and international level. And uh, that's where I uh, moved to Hawaii and I tried to make a break for it there. Um, realized that there weren't a lot of jobs in this type of area. So kind of refocus onto the smaller businesses and the local economy and uh, got into the security world and providing some consultation advice to the uh, local companies here. And over time that uh, the experience built built momentum and when the opportunity opened up here at the state, uh, I threw my hat in the ring, applied, and uh, here I am today. I'm the CISO for the state of Hawaii. Right. And I think what you've probably had maybe a couple good nights of sleep since you've taken that job. I know you work tirelessly um, and uh, you know, that that's, that, that's great to sort of know how you, you said cut your teeth in the sysadmin kind of in the weeds, getting to know all those, those details because, you know, security often comes down to those details, right? Uh, um, definitely, definitely. Um, one of my biases really is the um, operation side. So for me, I have experience in that deep hands-on and that plays uh, very well into where I am today because not only is do I have the, like, the academic aspect of things, but I've been through the trenches and very conscientious of uh, what the operational impacts are. If we're making a certain change, let's ensure that our users are, are man, are, we communicate clearly to the users and minimize the impact uh, to them. Um, a, a general approach to security that I like to play is uh, try to be as transparent uh, with them uh, as possible. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the term right now. Um, frictionless. Frictionless is the buzzword in, in security terms. Is whatever controls we do, we do, the more transparent and more frictionless we can put in those controls, the easier it is to get that adoption from our users. Absolutely. And speaking of users, Vince, we've asked um, some of the familiar faces here in Hawaii uh, what their favorite piece of childhood technology is, right? Like, what's the question we ask all of our guests? So, when you were a kid, what what was your favorite piece of childhood technology that you used? Uh, for me, my favorite 
toy was the series of uh, the Transformers. Um, <clears throat> I'll get involved with that. And it's because, you know, it, it more than meets the eye, <laughs> as the saying goes. And it's just when you when you have the toy, you're operating it. Obviously, it's one function, but you're able to actually transform it, mold it into a different model. And then um, over time, the transformers would evolve when they interconnect as well. And that's where we see some parallels in technology today. It's a lot like uh, Legos, that, which are mentioned in a um, previous uh, interview. And a lot of things to help understand the complexity of technology, uh, we need mental models. And the concepts of interconnected parts plays very well into IT. Um, and like I mentioned earlier on during my sysadmin days, one of the early things I learned is that the, the core of Unix is that you learn a whole assortment of tools. They're simple, single purpose tools, and you interconnect them to help solve complex problems. And uh, there's a lot of parallels today as we work towards um, public clouds and interconnect things where old system, uh, legacy systems, traditionally they were built in a monolith when, uh, where you need to have um, a large change window to implement a service change. Whereas now we're starting to evolve into microservices so that you, you minimize operation impact by changing just small components here and there. And that allows us to um, be able to modernize technologies much more seamlessly. Yeah, sure. And I think that's that's a big part of the jump that we've been a part of really in the last five or 10 years is, you know, things getting smaller, but faster and, you know, connecting um, not only people, but our technology. Um, and it feels like a lot has changed, not just in security, but across the globe. Um, over the last year for, for us, right? We've, we've all been through an experience that for, for the most part has been once in a lifetime. So I think that the, the course of what we've been through has impacted um, you know, organizations, their, their tech and their security because of the requirement to support the, the mobile workforce, right? Um, so I think in speaking to you before the show, you mentioned the pandemic has essentially acted as a, and I, and I really like this, digital kerosene for change. Um, can you talk about about that in, in terms of the the state, like their the, the pre and post pandemic posture, and where and why you felt you were successful with uh, you know with everything that's transpired over the last year and a half? Right. Um, first, I'll start off saying hopefully it's only once in our lifetime right. <laughs> uh, that uh, the situation improves and uh, we're able to uh, 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 lift ourselves out from this. And the main reason why I refer to this as the digital kerosene is that a lot of the technology or initiatives we had were already in place. And the, the troublesome, the difficult part was getting the cultural buy-off to get, uh, drive adoption. And so um, once we... Um, entered into the pandemic, it really, really forced uh, change. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the meme that was circulating around a year ago. It was like, who led the digital transformation of your company? And it was a check, uh, like a bullet points of C CEO, CTO, and COVID-19. And there's a big red circle around COVID-19. Um, it it kind of plays to some of, my, um, uh, some of my dogma where, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen. Odds are, if you think of an idea, someone else has already thought of it. But the real truth, the real value is how well can we execute on those ideas? So as we, on the state side, we, as we entered the pandemic, we had already a lot of initiatives to help support a mobile workforce and to help modernize uh, infrastructure. And, you know, as we entered in the pandemic, it, it, 
it put the gas on it. Um, that's that, that's why the reference to digital kerosene because not not only we need to do it faster, but it was like ludicrously fast and uh, you know, just light it, light it, lighting a match and just trying to get everything done at once. And so, um, so it was both the good and the bad where, you know, we were able to drive initiatives a whole, whole lot faster, but it's really boils down to how much sleep you can get in, in between those initiative changes. Well, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I'm glad that you guys were, were prepared for it per, per se, right? And then as you went through it, you were able to, you know, not be one of the, the few, I should say, that, that really struggled with, uh, with that change. I think everybody, like you said, was, was forced to do it, right? So now that you've made these changes, where do you see the workforce headed now? Like, do you see things kind of heading back to normal? Um, and, and do you believe, uh, you know, what, what are the, the the selling points, I should say, for uh, the, the hybrid environment versus the traditional environment? Um, well, from the technology perspective, our goals would be to just to maintain in, enabling the business, um, whether we return to work fully or uh, have a requirement or need to uh, completely telework for a while. Um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful, optimistic of a hybrid approach to allow a lot of flexibility uh, uh, and uh, leveraging the technology to enable that. So that means whether you're on premises, uh, there's certain technology that we need to, need to make available to folks. Um, and then we need to enable those same technology, uh, those same enable similar access to wherever you are uh, safely uh, when you're off premises. So sort of off the off the cuff question here. I mean, do you do you find a lot of value in that personal connection? I mean, do you, or I should say, do you do you feel your workforce is more productive when they're on site, or do you feel it's just about this the same, like when they're mobile? Um, that's a big topic of discussion, right? As we go back, a lot of companies yeah. are are feeling as though you know they get their workers back on site, they can quote unquote control them more per se. Um, and maybe squeeze more production out of them. But obviously you have the other end of the spectrum where people you know, are, are valuing their, their time more these days. Uh, you know, those, that commute time, right? To and from work exactly. can now be repurposed for, for work. And right, you can be sitting down with your family at six o'clock at night for dinner as opposed to getting home at 6.30. So I'm just curious to pick your brain about, about your perspective with that. Um, I, I personally love the, the flexibility and, and uh, having me be able to juggle, uh, you know, um, family life and work life intertwined. It's a lot easier. Well, in the past, you know, I, you know, there was a commute time. Uh, so, I mean, what before when I was commuting, I would be listening to podcasts. So that, 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 that was the plus. But outside of that, I, I'm not interacting with family or not getting a lot of work done. And it's just kind of dead time that we're trying to fill. However, you know, with the teleworking experience, um, we can be more efficient. Um, I refer to my productivity as being um, hyper-efficient because we can better plan throughout the day on where to put the priorities are and squeeze more value into, into the, uh, the, day, the, um, the work day. Um, and I'm hoping to, you know, for the this situation to continue. Uh, the goal with my team is just make make sure that we have the appropriate technology to enable the business appropriately. Um, we still have a lot of legacy older systems where, uh, you know, some things are not as accessible as before, and so we'll have to go through those efforts to try to make streamline um, those programs to make it more mobile friendly. So looking ahead, then. Then it's like, what are some of those initiatives that the state is working towards? Um, you know, and maybe what are some of those the, the challenges that you foresee to accomplish those initiatives? As far as major technologies go, and big picture would be modernization efforts. It's identifying programs that aren't 
that do need to be modernized in various fashion. Uh, maybe they're old legacy systems that can't be maintained anymore, or they're, they're systems that are not mobile telework friendly. We would need to evolve and change the systems to, uh, to make them more accessible in, in that respect. Um, a, key, a key player, uh, technology player in all these systems is the um, how to manage identity. You know, there's the old school VPN approach. It's like, hey, you VPN into you know, remote access into a, a um, into your environment and then manage work from there. Um, we're evolving now. So uh, like with cloud native solutions, for example, uh, leveraging SAML, uh, to get single sign-on connectivity, we're able to light up programs a lot significantly faster than before as compared to you know, tying into LDAP and on-premises infrastructure. The, the, um, the ability to onboard and on-ramp um, newer tech that are cloud native is significantly faster than the traditional on-premises approach. Um, so those are the key areas there. Um, I don't want to forget, completely forget about on-premises because you know, um, you know there are threats that to sit around for for a long while, and so we're we're putting a lot more energy into the concept of network segmentation. Um, during the pandemic, the focus was on the endpoint. Let's put in the appropriate agents on the endpoint so we can monitor, detect, and respond uh, to potential threats. Now with the potential for folks to return, that's, let's let's identify key areas within our state that need those network refreshes. And as we refresh those networks, let's put things into play where the environment is segmented um, a lot more fine grained than it was in the past. Um, as far as a larger, like um, North Star approach, I'm very big on the concept of uh, infrastructure as code. And uh, the, the rationale behind that is, um, is starting to instrument and um, document changes to infrastructure in more of a methodical way. Um, traditional system administration administration is you're logging, you're manually RDPing into a system or SSH, uh, and you make those changes, then hopefully you save out those uh, configurations. As we move towards an infrastructure as code model, the idea is that you present those changes and then you deploy those changes out into your infrastructure. So, uh, so we're kind of inverting a, um, the model, whereas like when we do a security review or vulnerability scan, for example, these are um, traditionally we had infrastructure sitting out there that we had to uh, one by one do the scans and do the reviews. Um, as we invert that model, we're doing these code reviews before the configuration is even pushed. So th that's th those are the big pieces where I'm look, uh, looking at. Um, you know, there, there are others speakers out there referring to the concept of infrastructure as code. I'm trying to think. Um, DIE, I believe that was the case, where um, infrastructure is now uh, distributed, um, immutable, and um, ephemeral. Um, that, that's the concept there. Uh, I think the analogy goes is that traditionally we're treating our systems as, as pets, and we're trying to evolve it toward maybe cattle. You know, it's, you know, yeah. PETA may have an issue with that analogy, but uh, the concept is we're not spe creating specialized systems. We, the goal uh, is to make them generic so that they can be throwaway. And, uh, and by following that immutable concept uh, and treating infrastructure as being ephemeral, we're gonna have a lot more safer infrastructure because we don't have old dead code sitting around for years, if not decades. Yeah, that's interesting. I really like that uh, that that thought process there, and you know, kind of 
ties into the DevSecOps approach, right? Is tying in security before before going into production, you know, as opposed to doing it after. So there, there's a lot of parallels there anyways, but I, I like that approach and, and, and mindset. And as we speak about code and, you know, what's a, what's a podcast discussion these days without talking about ransomware, right? Um, yes, of course. I guess. So as a leader, how do you approach this challenge and whether you can say it's based on your implementation or just on your best practices, maybe what are some of those most, the most important things that you would recommend people focus on within this problem set? Okay, well, um, I want to start off by reiterating that uh, um, good security is IT done well, and that's one facet of things. Uh, and so, for generally speaking, at a very high level, uh, to be able to better defend against uh, ransomware, and you know, we need to uh, assess our systems, identify what the business impact is, and the most risky systems that are at risk, uh, and make sure, ensure that the, those systems have offline or immutable backups. So that way, when a bad actor comes in and does some sabotage and try to take the systems down, we still have the data that we can recover from. Um, and then as far as just falling victim to ransomware, I, as far as um, what I've researched uh, uh, based on public reports, most incidents that have been disclosed have been you know, based on a, a, an external attack surface issue where there's a remote access port such as uh, SSH or RDP in particular that is exposed and we're not aware of it. And that's led to for a bad actor to get the beachhead into your environment um, so leading to a ransomware event. Um, another example is a static credentials where someone has a VPN password that has been changed. And again, that's, a, uh, that's an avenue into um, a more sensitive environment. Uh, so again, it's focusing on those uh, foundation, foundational controls in the, in the IT world. Um, I believe this is a Navy term, like be brilliant at the, the basics. So we've just, um, it doesn't mean that the basics are easy. Uh, the basics at scale, they're actually really, really hard. But as we learn to be more efficient on um, being solid, consistent on those basics, the better we're gonna be, the more resilient we're gonna be against uh, very, very disruptive events such as uh, ransomware. Yeah, I think that's that. You know, that's a great approach is focusing on, on the basics. I mean, everybody, is, everybody has a constraint on resources, right? And I think, Mm -hmm. Whether you're the state or whether you're a smaller, medium-sized business, uh, you know you you have those constraints, and, and and how do you approach you know utilizing those resources properly? And I think focusing on the the small stuff, the stuff that isn't necessarily exciting, or the stuff that isn't going to earn you the, the the headlines or or whatever it might be, that stuff is often the most important stuff for security. It's not the the newest and the brightest toy or the newest newest and brightest you know application or whatever it is. It's, it's doing those basic things. And I think that really resonates with the, the approach OcumSec takes as well. But, you know, as you build your team, how do you sort of translate that, you know, that mindset and that approach as you groom your, you know, your security team? Because oftentimes guys get excited. They want to do those, those bigger, you know, more sexy things, quote unquote. But, you know, how do you motivate your team and how do you kind of build them with that mindset? Two key factors are capability and attitude. And that's really the defining criteria on bringing uh, folks on board. Um, I would actually de-emphasize um, experience because we find somebody with really good energy and motivation, um, that, that individual can contribute considerably more into the organization rather than someone that it may be 
you know, have a little more experience, more tenure under their belt, but not necessarily that the hands-on skills. So uh, at least uh, with the team members that I've been bringing on board, uh, the goal and emphasis has been to hire uh, staff earlier in their career and show them that there aren't any limits and we want to encourage them to drive and run as hard as they can um, and so that they can level up significantly faster than an organization that traditionally may be more siloed and I mean you know these are the ground rules you can only do x y and z and that's it you know um, we simply don't have enough uh, resources, time, money, people to be able to, and to maintain those silos. We are um, to help modernize the team and change the culture. Um, I've been trying to immerse more um, more capabilities by in, by being an enabler uh, and and encouraging folks to um, push and learn more and be aggressive on um, putting in those uh, necessary controls. So you mentioned experience versus sort of, you know, grooming people from an early standpoint. Um, when, when you're looking at bringing people on and you're looking at building your team, this is a question that we ask a lot of our guests uh, is, you know, what's more important, education or experience? And I think you sort of touched on that. But if you're not looking at specifically, you know, someone's education first, what other things in terms of experience are you, are you sort of looking for, for for candidates who you want to bring on your team? Well, um, when I was first building out the team, uh, was, we were rebuilding the security team from scratch. So I catered towards folks that are stronger on the technology side and uh, automation so we can instrument things quicker. As we, um, as we mature, uh, uh, round out the team, um, I'm, I'm seeing a, a requirement to, um, to pull, f- uh, find staff that are stronger communicators that understand business requirements and be able to align that with the technology controls that we're putting in place. So it it it, it takes all sorts, um, but I, I fall back on those requirements of you know attitude and capability, whether the, where, wherever those strengths are. You know, you could be a data scientist and really really dive deep into the data, or you could be the the business analyst or product specialist that really can key in on what the user requirements are and what the pain points are um, and help be the connective tissue between the business units and the actual infrastructure. Yeah, because it, it, it really does no good to present the business unit with a, a list of technical you know, findings without the, the context right behind it and the impact and, and the risk. To be able to talk to those things is, is very important. Um, or else, you know, you're just another company that does scans, right? Or, or just another uh, person on your team that can do scans and, and that's it. You, you have to be able to connect those dots. Uh, yeah. Very, very important. Um, yeah, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to automate a scan and generate an automated PDF right. report these days. You know, you don't need a pen testing company to give you that PDF. You know? yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. So, you know, I know we're, we're, we're kind of closing in here on, on our time for the, you know, we like to ask our guests and you're no different, Vince, any closing advice or words of wisdom for, I guess, you know, speaking to business leaders here in Hawaii and, and maybe those, those listeners that are listening across the globe, really um, any words of wisdom for, for those guys? Um, I guess I'll just uh, I'll reiterate it. So f- focusing on those foundational controls, and um, I, I'm not sure what, how broad the audience here is, but generally speaking, what's ubiquitous is um, 
um, educate your staff on what the threats are um, and put, in, put a lot of time and effort into phishing exercises, for example, so that folks learn by doing. Um, but as far as a key control as a takeaway is turn on MFA. If there's any external exposed system, whether it be email, uh, VPN, um, remote access, any type of capabilities, ensure that there's the additional control of MFA so that you're not falling victim to a, a brute force attack or, um, that will lead to a situation such as ransomware, right? So um, as the meme goes, uh, MFA all the things. Right, MFA everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, Vince, you know, thank you, thank you for for taking time out to to join the show. It's it's been great having you on, and we appreciate your your insights. And for our listeners, again, thank you for for tuning in and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of burned by the firewall. Great. Thank you very much. Had a great time. 